Hey guys, it's Brian with the Real Estate Investing Show. Before we get started with this week's episode, we just wanted to let you know the call quality or the audio quality is going to be quite a bit different than what you're used to. We had to do a phone call and record it this time as opposed to being in studio. Without further ado, let's get this episode of the Real Estate Investing Show started. I'm Brian Jones. And I'm Seth Martin. And this this is is the the Real Real Estate Estate Investing Show. We talked about the corona situation we find ourselves in. We talked about you having your little girl. Do you have any follow-ups since our last episode? Actually, yes. You know, when we talked about things during the last episode, I I have to admit that we were a little bit doom and gloom. I mean, yes, we we did have some positive aspects, but we were really in uncharted territory. And, and, you know, I, I really didn't know what to expect. And I'm sure you didn't either. It was kind of... You know, we've never been down this road before. And since then, you know, we really started focusing on our database, prospecting, um, looking for new opportunities. And, you know, I also started really working with my team and trying to facilitate their businesses and things like that. And, man, we've really had a lot of success in the last three weeks. Um, Some of the residential aspects of our business have put – quite a few houses under contract and then we're currently working on negotiating a couple of very large deals for one of our capital partners. So very nice. You know, it's been, it's been really great. What about you? Yeah, I do. And you just said something that, that kind of goes into what I have done. Uh, I mean, we, what I've done, we were a little doom and gloom. Okay. But you know, it's, I've focused on my database. You just mentioned that that's something you guys have been doing, and, and that's something that I've really tried to start doing over the last few weeks. Um, you know, I, I work for a residential builder, and so a lot of the general real estate leads I get just happen to walk in the door. But those are becoming way few and far between at this point because there's nobody coming into the models because we're in the shelter in place. So what I started doing was, um, you know, the topic for today is going to be uh, a couple of things, but the, one of the main ones is going to be, you know, uh, the best advice you were ever given. Well, I don't want to spoil what that is for me, but I've taken that. I've been I've been using and implementing that advice by seeking out um, opportunities that uh, things that would expand my reach to my top 50 clients. And so some people like uh, Russell Brunson, he's a guy that I follow a lot who does a lot of marketing. He says, focus on your top 100. I wanted to narrow that down even further. I wanted to do my top 50 clients. And so I've really spent the last few weeks trying to hone in how I could get those 50 clients, get constant touches with them over and over and in different mediums. That way, anytime somebody says anything about real estate, uh, they don't think, oh, well, Brian's a, a – I know an agent, but Brian's a, a builder's agent. He doesn't really do anything. Well, I'm in a unique position where I can do whatever I want, essentially. And so I want it to be top of mind for every person who hears the word real estate uh, to call Brian Jones. And so when we get into uh, you know the best advice we're ever given, I, I'm going to elaborate on what it is over the last few weeks that I've been doing, but that has been kind of like my follow-up for the last few weeks.
Seth, uh, I kind of already spoiled it. I've, I've said, you know, what the topic is. The first part of the topic is what is uh, the best advice you've ever been given in your professional life or personal life? It doesn't really matter. So well, I, what, think, I think this is a good thing since you've, you've kind of already hit on yours. If you want to just go in and elaborate on exactly okay. where you're at, that would be great. Okay, yeah, I can definitely do that. So the best advice I was ever given was from the guy who was on this show, the very first episode we have, Trey Ellis. And he said, do not ever be afraid to invest in yourself. Not to spend money needlessly, not to just go blow money on leads, but to invest in yourself. And so even though these times are unchartered and we have no idea what's going to happen in the next two or three months with 20 million people probably this week going to be filing for unemployment total over the last three weeks, I have continued to try to find opportunities that will let me leverage my database. And what I've done is I've invested in a automatic text messaging platform. I had one before to where people could like send a message as an example Let's say they wanted to rent one of my applica- or rent one of my rentals. They could send the word application to eight 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 seven seven seven, and then it would give them the application automatically. That was great, and it worked for its purposes. But what I found now is a system that allowed me to port in all of my leads, all of my spheres of influence, and basically I sat down for about a week straight and wrote fifteen custom text messages that will go out every 10 days to my uh, sphere of influence that is different from the ones that will go out to my leads. And those are now all automated. So those are going to be touches, one touch every 10 days with each of those people. And so that's one way that I've invested in myself. That platform is not cheap by any means. Um, You know, I'll tell you what it is. It's $650 a month. And for most people, they're trying to cut, 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 cut right now. And I understand that. But there comes a time where you realize, look, between my investing career in real estate, my flipping career in real estate, my landlord career and property management career in real estate, my general real estate, uh, real estate sales, I literally just don't have time to individually text everybody that I've touched over the last five years or four years. Sure. And so what I have to do is I have to find ways to automate that. So that's one of the things. So, the, again, the advice so- that – Go ahead. So you're so you're saying the best advice you ever received was what's the investing in, in, yeah. in yourself? Yeah. Don't, don't be I afraid. Hit on something really quick with and ask you kind of a question. So you've invested okay. yourself by developing a new program and helping automate part of your business, which takes gives you some of your time back. Right. right. But why do you think that you're having success, and why do you plan on you know being able to have success? by focusing on your existing database. You know, you said in the follow-up portion of our show that you took Russell Brunson's advice about your top 100, you trimmed it to the top 150. What about focusing on that 50, those 50 contacts do you think, what what, what do you think is going to drive your business? So it's going to be, that's a great question, and it's going to be referrals. And I know for a fact, that's going to happen. Uh, so I have literally had one client over the last three to four years who has sent me five referrals, just sent me another one a couple of days ago. So all I need, I don't even need my top 50, Seth. I need my top 10 clients 
to send me five referrals a year, and that's 50 transactions a year, and I won't ever need anything else in my life. I mean, I, no. I've realized that quantity is not where it's at. It's quality. And so I've also, in my investing career, in I, I've already revised my goals for the year. Originally, it was to flip 30 houses, right, and keep 10 as rentals. Now, my goals have changed because of everything that's going on. My goals now are to look for quality leads and quality flips and maybe flip 15, but have them 30 to 40% deeper than the ones I was going to do to begin with. Uh, and then keep five of them as rentals. I and think, so, I think that's great. You know, yeah. I I would ask you this too about about your your plan with your referrals. You know, you you talked about quality over quantity. I went to Keller Williams Mega Camp two years ago, and Gary Keller got up on stage and was talking about a lady from Northern California that was a top producer in the country every year. Year after year, I think it was in the 80s or early 90s, and they couldn't figure out. You know, it wasn't a super populous area of California, which I know is hard to believe, but it wasn't. Um, and they they finally decided to go and, and look at her business and try to figure out why she was a top producer every year. So they went to her and they said, you know, how big is your database? What's your guess on how many people she had in her database? Probably less than 200. No, it was more than that. It was there were there were other agents in California that had databases of over five thousand contacts. Yeah, I've got eight right now, and, and I tell you right now, I only get about a five percent open rate on my emails, and so that's that that was the other that was the other eye opener. My whole thing was why not trim it down to those five hundred and sixty people that open my emails every single time and just focus on them. I think it's so important when you first start in the business to cast a wide net because you don't know exactly where you can be extremely successful. I don't care what your background is, what, you know, what you think that you want to do. You know, I'll tell you a story. He's actually here with me today listening in, but I constantly, my brother just recently got his license, his real estate license uh, a few months ago. And I'm sure he would tell you if you asked him, I probably ask him once a week, if not at least every other week, what do you think you want to do in real estate? What 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 do you want your niche to be? What do you think you'd be successful at? And the reason I'm asking that question is exactly what we're talking about. I don't want him to do to have to do what I did when I first got into the business and that's, you know, take twenty five to fifty leads a day sometimes and you know, at least a hundred a week just to try to, you know, make a dollar, right? Right. The, the, the trick has been, you know, we, we're in a, a situation right now where we have right around 1,000 people, residential and um, commercial people in our database. We are exactly in the same position that you are. We are focusing on maybe 10 clients, maybe 10. And we spent the first two weeks of this whole coronavirus panic calling every single person in our database and I mean I'm not even done actually if you really want to know the truth um, but I found you know 10, 10, 12 people that I knew were going to be aggressive I knew that, that thought this thing was going to pass I, you know that had the same ultimately you want to do business with people that have the exact same mindset and the exact same 
vision that you do. Look, you can take thousands of leads, and you could do business with someone that doesn't have that vision that you do, that doesn't have the same mindset, all those things. Yes, you can do business with those people. But I would venture to say that that transaction is ten times harder than it is with someone that you know, like, and trust, and they have the same vision as you. You know, just like, just like you just talked about, ask yourself this question. If you get a referral from a past client, how easy is that lead to work normally? It, you're, you're exactly right. It's so much easier. And not only that, but they respect you and they respect your time. I can't tell you how many people who are tire kickers that I get off of online lead sources and such, but then when I get a referral, they will drive by the houses, they will scout out the neighborhood, they will do all that work on the front end and only call me to see the home if they already know that it is a possibility that they could write an offer on it. I, I'll tell you this exact story here, and then you know we'll, we can move on. You know, I just talked about my brother getting his first deal under contracts. Obviously, extremely proud of him. I think he would tell you that this client has been the easiest. I mean, honestly, it's been the easiest client I've ever seen in real estate. We spoke with him, like he was, a, he was a referral from past client, as I mentioned, um, that we did a lot of work, that I did a lot of work for when I helped them. I've helped them buy a residential property and a commercial property. And um, <laughs> it's actually the, the wife's father. So he refers him, you know, they refer him to us. We have two conversations, get him introduced to a lender, lender gets him pre-approval. The next day we go and um, we have scheduled – or we wanted to schedule three houses, two of them. Um, one of them was too far away when he was looking – actually got to look at the map. The other one was under contract. So we went to go view this one house. We were there for 45 minutes, wrote an offer that day under contract four days later, and we're on our way to the inspection today. So That's awesome. it's, uh, I mean – people get into this business and they're so concerned about, again, casting that wide net. I would way rather have a hundred quality net clients than I would to have 5,000 people in my database. You have to I cast agree. that wide net first. You need to start trimming it and focusing it on the people that you can do business with regularly. You're exactly right. And before we move on and go go to yours, I just want to say one other thing. Uh, another way that I've invested in myself is there is a there's a company out there that you can hire to produce for you uh, a personalized newsletter or it's actually like a magazine. It's like a, it's a 36 to 50 page magazine every time you send it out. And uh, I've, I've partnered with them. Uh, just got all of that squared away. So my top 50 clients that I've identified uh, every two months are now going to get a personal magazine from me paid for and shipped to their home and it will be all about real estate and just health tips and workout that cost you? Uh, that cost you? So, so basically it's about $500 every two months. It's super cheap. Not bad. No, it's not bad. So not bad. anyway, so that's, that's how I've invested in myself. The best advice that I've ever gotten was do not be afraid to invest in yourself. Seth, what about you? What's the best advice that you've ever received? Truth be told, mine, mine's actually a combination of two. But I, I, you know, you know me well enough now to know that my mind always tries to find parallels in the information and the content that I receive, whether it's with my own life or just with with anything that I've gotten. I'm going to tell you the two, uh, like two of them, very briefly, and then tell you exactly how I connected the two. 
The first one was, is your true net worth is determined by how many people you can truly impact positively in life. That's from one of my best friends, Corey Gibson. Um, I believe that those that you impact around you, whether it's from a business standpoint, whether it's from a personal standpoint, whether it's, you know, family life, whatever it may be, if you can help and raise other people up around you, it's going to benefit you in the long run. You may not see it right away, but it will, right? Absolutely. The part of it is, is, is always look to diversify. That can be in your portfolio or your skill set. If you have the ability to vertically integrate your business and your life, you will always stay ahead of your competition. And so those two pieces of advice kind of formulated what I would call Seth Martin original <laughs> as a joke. Um, but it was really taking those two pieces of advice and vertically integrating both your message and your impact in, in people and the network that you have around you right. into your business and what you do. You know, I am a you know, we talked about this in a previous podcast. I, I said that people say all the time, don't do business with your friends and family. You know, don't get into business with your friends and family. If you're not doing that, again, I don't know what you're doing this for. Right. I'm trying to raise up my friends, my family, everyone that I have within my social circle yep. to make them better people, have a more abundant life, you know, all those kind of things. And so, you know, I talked about my brother. You know, I, I try to help him. Look, that, those are hours out of my day, and I can be spent, you know, marketing or doing whatever. But I know in the long run those things will pay off for me because yep. he will be successful. I'll, I, You know, I'm an idea guy. I might come up with some, you know, crazy business idea. He might want to invest with me in that, at that point, but, but he's living a flourished lifestyle. Those things right. come back around. Yep. You know, his – his significant other, you know, um, I helped get her a job a year ago at a title company, and she's an absolute rock star, like just one of the best title processors that I've ever seen in just a short amount of time. It took me three years to get to the point that she's at. In so that's who we were talking about the other day. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. And, you know, you know this about, the, you know, like I'm actually looking at vertically integrating my business even more. You know, right. I've got the real estate aspect. I've got the investment aspect. I've got the development. I'm, I'm about to have the construction before long. I want a title company too. I'm not, I have a background in title. I, w I can set up a title company blindfolded. I feel like. Why would I not have that as a another form of income off of my own business? I can market that to the other investors that I work with. I can market that to other agents that I have business with. Mm -hmm. They know, like, and trust me. They know I know what I'm doing. That's just another revenue stream that I can add to the portfolio, and at the same time impact those people around me in a positive way because most people don't have like most agents they may have a relationship with their title company i don't know any title company out there that has a owner or a partner in the business that is a real estate investor a real estate developer and a real estate agent who sees all those sides of the business and has seen them on a regular basis they can help answer those problems when it comes to title so on that note, uh, number one, uh, don't forget me when you start this because we've already talked about that. <laughs> oh, number, no, no, I, I, no, no, for sure. Num number two is um, you, you're exactly right. Vertical integration is is vital, and I realize, and I may have, I don't think I mentioned this on podcast on the podcast, but I think I mentioned to you to you personally. I have found a way to vertically integrate even more in my business as well. 
you know, I have people call me probably five or six times a week just to ask me for a contact, whether it be a painter, a roofer, or something like that. So what I've done is my Tennessee Dream Home LLC, which actually flips all my properties, I've actually now converted that to where it's my flipping company, but it's also going to be basically like a, a construction or handyman service. And so if if somebody needs uh, their house painted, um, I'll go have my guys give them a quote. The quote will come back to me, and then I will mark that product up a reasonable amount to where it's still cheaper than everybody else because my guys give me a killer deal because of volume. And then I'll make an additional revenue stream off of each one of those referrals that I'm giving five or six times a week for free. Yeah, no, I think that's extremely intelligent. Doing that is the epitome of being able to develop new revenue streams. And if you are not looking for ways to do that in your business daily, and I don't care what it is that you're doing, you know, if you're an agent, if you're a um, flipper, if you're a general contractor, if you're a subcontractor, if you are not looking at ways to innovate and add additional revenue streams to your business, you will fall behind at some point. Yep, absolutely. Because there are others out there that are doing it. You know, I – I had a conversation with a subcontractor that I've never used the other day because I needed a um, a repair done on some plumbing on a, a house that I sold a client of mine. And um, got to talking to him. Their company has now, in the last year or two, branched out into they do plumbing, they do electrical, and they do HVAC. Well, as a general contractor, that's very appealing to me. Oh, if yeah. I can bring one, one trade or one, one – company in on three trades, three of the major trades when it comes to constructing a house, I can likely trim budget amounts by getting a discount for giving them all three trades. So can I ask you real quick? One? Yes. Is this company's abbreviation MM? Okay. I was about to say, I don't know if they're shutting down, like he's closing that business. No, no, no. I, I, oh, I know who you're talking about now that you said. Okay. No, I, um, I okay. didn't know that he was closing it down. These guys um, – you guys are actually a client of ours. We're we're working on getting them a lease space uh, to expand their business right now. So, oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, I just yeah, want so, I, I want you to bank on something that's not going to be here in two months because he just no, no 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 no. So I mean, you know, I, I love that guy to death. Oh yeah, same. We've talked about him on the podcast many times, and but um, you know, I, I just haven't ever found a a real alignment for us to do business, and I don't know if it's just maybe we're in different worlds. You know, that's sometimes. What people don't understand is you can be in real estate doing the exact same thing. You can be flipping houses the same as somebody else. You can mm-hmm. be doing developments the same as somebody else. But your business models and mindsets just don't sync perfectly. So, Seth, now that we've talked about um, you know the things that we – the advice we've been given that's uh, been crucial to our success in life and just our, our overall happiness – what is it uh, that what, what's been going on for the weekend test shoes? Man, it's been really, really interesting. You know, um, we've had a couple weeks over the you know the last month where we're like we mentioned earlier that we really focused on our database and just kind of getting down to who our core clients are. And what's really funny is that the minute you start focusing on those opportunities start to present themselves. You know, I'm a firm believer in whatever you want to call whatever people call it, alignment, you call it, um, you know, uh, manifesting, whatever. It's when you, when you focus on a particular um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? A, a particular action and and you know hopefully a result that that comes from that action you're able to start to find those deals because you know exactly what you're looking for right one of our main right. clients is a is a large uh syndication slash um real estate fund out of New York that really focuses on a a variety of asset classes um but what's really strange is is I actually expected them to be very doom and gloom during this coronavirus situation. Um, had a conversation with them about five, five days into the stay-at-home orders and all that stuff that started kicking off. And believe it or not, they raised $50 million, or almost $50 million, it was like $40-some million um, during that first week of the stay-at-home orders. And it wow. was because the, the, you know, the, the stock market was tanking. People were pulling out their money and sticking it replacement with this company and so we started discussing you know what they would want to look for and they were like hey let's cast a wide net let's look at a lot of different things and then we'll start trimming down on exactly what we what we want um, we are looking at finishing some underwriting for a large medical um, office building in Murfreesboro which would be a, a really really nice brokerage commission uh we also have made i've made some contacts recently with some hospitals um that are looking to do some sale leasebacks which are I, I, for those of you that don't understand that principle it's basically a company that owns a building they want to continue to operate in that business or in that building but they need cash to either expand or operate whatever it may be as you can imagine a lot of hospitals are experiencing quite the burden and they need a lot they need liquid cash so we have a we've got an appointment set it's still 30 days out but with this same group to actually acquire a couple hospital locations again these are large large deals that i could have never imagined i would you know be sitting in the room three years ago you know like i, I couldn't imagine it now i've just manifested that i by but again same thing that we've talked about this entire podcast just really focusing on those clients and partners that we align with each other and we understand each other's goals and we understand what we're trying to do. You know, this group that I'm talking about, they know what my goals are. My goals is is not to just be a broker for them. I want to partner with them. I want to create my own fund here and have their come fund be a sub subsidiary of it or right. vice versa. They they move their thing here and my fund become a, a, a subsidi subsidiary of their business. Whatever it is, I'm not a greedy person. I don't have to have my name on the masthead every day. You know, we've, we've I've worked on some deals with them before where they not only allowed me to collect a brokerage commission, but they gave me ownership equity. Nice. That right there are people that I want to do business with on a regular basis because they understand my goal, which makes me – and they facilitate to that goal, right, which makes me work so much harder for them. That's that's what it is. Is you want to grow around people that motivate you to do what it is that you want to do, and it's not just some raw raw motivation thing. Tangible results from that motivation. So yeah, for what sure. What about you? What about you? So what what I've spent this week doing is, um, you know, I, I had a client who wanted to sell their house. They they lived a few a uh, few streets over from a tornado uh, that just hit you know hit Nashville a few uh, about a month ago, month and a half ago or so. And um, they live on 24th Avenue in Nashville. So we sold her house. She immediately called and said, hey, I want you to listen. This is actually the referral, the, who, the person who keeps sending me referrals. 
she called and said, I want to sell my house. I need to find one with a basement. So I happened to have one with a basement just a few streets over. And she fell in love with the house, decided she wanted to buy my flip, but we hadn't even started on it yet. She walked in it. It was the previous owner's junk everywhere. It was in terrible condition. I showed her the rendering for what I was going to do to it and went over the plan with her. She loved it, decided she wanted it. So we've been working with her uh, to uh, we've been working with her to get all of her selections and stuff done for it. So this is this is atypical of the way I do a flip. Generally, I have a general palette that I've, I've chosen for a home. Go in, we do all that, then we sell the house, right? Even if somebody right. pre-bought the house, that they're stuck with the selections that I've made. Well, right. I've let her go in and make a lot of selections because she wanted to do a lot of upgrades. And since I'm not having to pay a commission, I gave her an allowance of $6,200 worth of upgrades. And she's went over that, and we're just adding that to the price, so it's not a big deal. But what I what I realized is that it's very, very stressful to do it this way unless you have a system. And I did not have a system for this because I've never let anybody make selections on a flip. And so what I did was my regional builder that I worked for, we obviously allow people who are building new homes to make their own selections. So I took all the forms that we use through my new home construction, converted those over to be forms that I can use for flips, that way, at some point down the road, I'd like to, to partner with people who are on the lower budget end of the spectrum, let them buy a house that needs a lot of repairs, figure out what they're qualified for, and then renovate it to what they want, right? And so to be able to do that, I'm going to need some type of structure that will allow me to track costs and track, uh, you know, their upgrades and track everything. And so I've converted the forms that we use and the spreadsheets that we use for my new home construction over to my renovation side. And so I've just really been focusing on trying to get those done over the last week. That way, you know, number one, I keep the current budget under control. And number two, if this ever happens again, my stress level will go way down because right now it is at a peak. (laughs) And that's it for this week's episode. Thank you guys for joining us once again for this episode of the Real Estate Investing Show. If you need to reach Seth or myself, reach out to us on our Facebook page at the Real Estate Investing Show or visit us on our website, which is the Real Estate Investing Show.fm. Um, I saw a video yesterday that I sent over to our buddy Trey, and uh, he thinks that it's uh, it's just a marketing ploy. But did you do you happen to follow uh, Grant Cardone on Instagram? I I did until he started firing everybody, and I deleted him. <laughs> okay, so he put out an Instagram video on Instagram TV last night, and you really need to watch it if you haven't. And basically, what, what he is, said was he's uh, he said he bankruptcy. Yes, he said he's filing bankruptcy. He's going down the tubes. He's losing all eight thousand units that he owns as far as I don't apartments. It. Okay, I so that's what Trey, that's what Trey said too. So regardless, regardless, why would you? If it is a marketing ploy, what kind of good marketing does that do for you? Like I don't understand that at all. I think if you really want to know the truth, I mean, and, and this is just my opinion. No, no, no offense to Grant. Um, himself but i i think we all have to have you know some kind of confidence being in sales and things like that and i think i think grant person this is my personal opinion of him kind of toes the line between um confidence and arrogance right um 
and I there's no doubt about that. He's arrogant as fuck. Yeah, okay, fine. I, I was trying to keep it politically correct, but yeah, <laughs> no, over here. But um, <laughs> but I think you know I don't know if you followed the, his world lately, but there's been so many people talking about him. Uh, um, I, I guess it was about a week ago. He's suspending um, disbursements to his investing his investors for the next ninety days. Yeah, so nobody's getting any payouts, and so the rumors have been floating around everywhere that. Because he laid everyone off, then now he's suspending, disper- you know, disp- suspending disbursements to his his capital uh, investors. That there's a major problem. Look, there is a major problem. People aren't paying their rent. Right. Um, you know. Again, I, I don't align with Grant's philosophy around real estate. You know, he turned me off the first time I read his book, and it said it's okay to overpay for real estate. That yeah, immediately turned me off. I was like, no, you're an idiot. Like, if you right. overpay for real estate, you're going to be in the position that you're in right now. Right. right? Yep. And yep. that's the position that he's in. You know, I, I, do I think he is an expert salesperson? 1,000%. Now, yeah. there are certain things about his sales tactics that I don't agree with. Like, I right. got, I don't know if you ever watched the interview he did with Jordan Belfort, but um, he said that when someone tells you they're not interested, that's a level of interest. No, <laughs> okay. I don't, I, don't, I don't think so. I mean, I could be wrong, but if I don't have any interest, that's not a level of interest, you know. So anyway, there there are things about that, but he, I think where he's found himself is is that, you know, he's in this situation where, and this is the problem with living a flamboyant lifestyle in front of the general public when you're doing it through, um, you know, other people's money. Right. right. It's one thing to promote yourself on social media and promote what you're able to do. It's also another thing to promote yourself on social media and then live the quote unquote guru lifestyle where it's my private plane and my six condos and my blah 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 blah. Because then when the, the proverbial shit hits the fan People will look at you and go, "You're you're a con artist, right?" Like right. I think Grant. Well, that, that was part of his video. That was that was actually part of the video. He said he was I know, going to. I think he was being very facetious and like almost, you know, almost being a smart ass. Like right. I think he's going under. No, I don't. Um, not yet. Maybe you know, maybe, but I don't. You know, I, I saw the video or like a clip of the video. Somebody sent it to me. I didn't realize that's what you were referencing. Um, yeah. And, you know, him saying that this is the only thing that's going to keep my ass out of jail and blah, 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 blah. Look, he's not Bernie Madoff. Like, these, these syndications, the way the contracts and stuff are, writing, are written up, um, you know, the disbursements and the way they're paid, if you can suspend disbursements, uh, especially when you have – when your loan amount outweighs the equity portion, right, right. Because, because a bank – for example, in these big syndication non-recourse financing loans, they have a lot of provisions that they can, you know, basically call your note, right? So, right. I, what I what I think he's doing personally about suspending suspending those disbursements is just going to the bank as a good faith person. Say, listen, I'm 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 not going to pay out my investors for 90 days so that I can make sure that if we experience high levels of vacancy and economic vacancy like we're likely to experience during this, I can still make the bank note, right? And 
you know, he talked about in that video he's going to sell the Gulf Stream, his plane, he's going to sell the condo, and blah, 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 blah. Dude, he's not doing that. Like, <laughs> so I, I had to – I thought it was BS uh, because there was somebody in the background, I think it was his wife Elena, who was just mm-hmm. talking and saying the numbers before he would say them. Like yeah, he would laughing say, and laughing. Exactly. So, I mean, I, 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 I too think that it, it's a ploy, but I just don't understand what type of good press or what type of goodwill that buys you. Like, it just doesn't. No, I, it, I, I, personally, I agree with you. Right? Yeah. I, I agree with you. I think it's, it's, it's not great, but knowing him, like, I mean, let's, let's, let's talk about where he was 15 years ago. You right. Know, he can probably take a mountain of poop and turn it into gold. You know what I mean? Like, right. You're just that type of person. And, um, now that doesn't mean I agree with him. Like I, I think it's a lot of it's like almost like sleazy car sales that he does. But right. well, yeah, time, you know, if it's successful, oh. it's successful. I mean, I I don't know if you've ever like for me, I I always try to do homework, right? If I'm going to do syndications right. and things like that, which is my plan, I want to know what the other syndicators are doing. So I've I've like signed up to get some of their sales calls and stuff like that. And dude, it's about as high pressure as buying a timeshare. You know what I mean? Dude. Like. I'm, and you know, I, I mean, look, I'm, I'm in sales, and I'm, I know the business well enough that, like, I can give you a thousand, you know, objections, and you can try to feel felt found me all you want to, but right. it ain't gonna work. You know what I mean? Right. And so, um, I, I just think that that level of sales, you know, it works really, really well when he's going after the non-accredited people now, because that's what he's doing, the non-accredited investors. But the right. accredited people, you know, he, I I guarantee you um, it's a completely different sales tactic, right? You have to oh, yeah. come from a different level of professionalism. And I think he did a really good job of going after the accredited investors early on, and he found that success, and he did it. But then he reached his threshold, because just like we talked about about the database, you can really only probably, you know, facilitate 100 to 200 people regularly um, in the database. So if you've got, you know, you got to think if you've got um, 100 people in your database that are capital investors, only about 80% or I mean, only about 50% of them are going to invest with you. So that's 50. If the average investment is $250,000, that gives you a pool of only 12 million bucks. So if you figure 70, you know, leverage at 70%, that's only $17.8 million worth of revenue. He has over $1.5 billion under management. Right. You can't do that without going after non-accredited. You can't. Oh, you're so, exactly right. so that's that's a um, that's the issue. You know, at least not as quick as he can. Now, look, he could get after, he could do that in 10, 15 years. You know, but he couldn't do that early on, like as, as quickly right. as he has. So I think that's part of it. Is like he may fa- face some type of you know recourse from investors and things like that, especially like. I wouldn't be surprised if there's not some kind of class action lawsuit that comes out of all this because, right. you know, they write into their contracts, and I'm sure it's it, – it, while it may be disclosed, it's probably not harped on the way it should be, especially with non-accredited folks. Right. And that's – you know, you can't pull your money out of those syndications until the until the investment period is up. So right. if you just invested with him and you committed to a five-year term. You can't pull your money out, regardless. It's his, right. basically. Yeah. And so, yeah. um, and and don't get me wrong. I know why he does that, right? You can't have. Oh yeah. 
15 investors come to you all at the same time and say, we want to pull our money out of an out of the equity, and you've got to figure out how to replace that. Right. You just can't do it. Um, and that's why syndications are a little bit dangerous and even more so dangerous when you're doing it with non-accredited people. So I wouldn't be surprised if you didn't see some, some class action stuff come out of this. For um, sure. And, and he may lose some assets and things like that. But, you know, he is he going to lose the empire? No. You know, he's not. He's he's developed too big of a following. I mean, I, I, I'm in a Facebook group that's called uh, Sales Talk for Sales Pros or something like that on Facebook. And it's hosted by Ryan Stuman. I don't know if you know who that is, but. Yeah, I've heard um, of him. But um, the hardcore closer is his, is his little t- uh, nickname or whatever. But um, he, he used to be one of Grant's biggest fans, and then in the last year or two, he's kind of said that Grant was a con artist and all this stuff. And then yesterday he made a post about that, or that's where I actually saw the clip of the video. Um, he was telling – like there were people on there that he were even de- defending Grant. So, you know, like if – if that's the case, like, you know, there's that old saying that there's no such thing as bad publicity, right? I don't know. I, don't know. I, I mean, I, I know that that's a thing, but I just I mean, don't know how this is good publicity because you have, you have billions of dollars worth of people's money that you're managing, and you're going on, fuck, on Instagram TV saying that you're going bankrupt and probably going to jail. I just don't understand how, how any no, investor – Forward. I, I mean, you got to think about this. Like, and this is listen. I, w- I want to preface what I'm saying. I don't want to have the PC crowd or the Me Too movement come to me after this. But right. it's just an example of there's no such thing as bad publicity. Kobe Bryant in the mid 2000s was accused and settled on a rape case, and his jersey right. sales went through the yep. roof. Yep. I mean, look, that's not me advocating for you to go out and you know commit a crime right. in order to get on the news. And you know, create a name for yourself. I think that's. I also agree. I think it's a terrible way to do it. But right. you know, desperate times like Grant's going through, you know, leads me to believe he's just, you know, grasping at straws. And yeah. you know, I don't know. I think it's going to be very, very interesting. Um, and I said this since the coronavirus broke out. I said, you know, commercial real estate is not going to feel this really for about three to six months. Right. Residential real estate is not going to feel this till next year, but they will right. feel it. And if you yeah. ain't kidding, it's because well, you're, you you're feeling it right now. I mean, honestly, just let me, let me pause you. You're feeling it right now because especially if you're selling homes that are, I, and I, I was the first one to say, I don't think homes below 300 are really going to be affected, but I think I was wrong. I think it's the opposite because what's happened is the people who can afford homes over 300,000 are still working because they're either business owners and they're essential or they are managers at places or whatever, and they're essential or whatever the case may be. But all the people who can afford sub 300 houses are all laid off right now. And we have Mm -hmm. literally in the last two and a half weeks, I've seen like two people in my model home. And so, and generally we have about five or six a week. So, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that it's, it's definitely affecting uh, residential real estate right now. Mm Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I think it's just um, it's it's one of those things that we're we it is affecting things, but I don't think it's going to affect it in the way that we think it is. 
like, it's not going to be 2008. I mean, because there wasn't a housing crisis. It's not. It's not going to be 2008, but it's just going to take a rebound period from where people get back in their well, jobs, you know, and the start loosening standards again. The issue with um, 2008 was an equity. It was really an equity crisis. It wasn't a housing crisis. Right. It was an equity crisis. You know, banks allowed people to mortgage their homes to the absolute umpteenth degree, and so there was just so much debt in the market on the on the you know the consumer side residential consumer side that when property values started dipping the banks were the ones that were really hurting and listen i do i i'll be the first to tell you that i think banking in general is is slightly corrupt you know um and i yeah. say that with a grain of salt because i use bank money too but um i think with with the ability to um you know, get get bank money is a, that that part of it is, is is a little corrupt. But when it comes to it right now, we're, our equity crisis. I mean, we still got almost three times the amount of equity still available within real estate for borrowing that we did in 2008, like percentage wise, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so that that you know, I think we're still okay there. What my concern is is we have a corporate liquidity crisis. Right, there's a lot of corporate debt right now, and that could be crippling. Like I just said, on larger, well, maybe not larger businesses, but mid-sized to small businesses, as right. well as as well as you know, like independent contractors like ourselves, things like that. The availability of cash right. will become more scarce, and that's why I just talked about in the show that we've really focused on our database and, and gotten to the folks that we know have cash set aside for investment because as this market changes, you know, if you've gotten terms worked out with capital investors, like on what they're looking to do, you're going to have massive opportunity because there's going to be these, these, like these sale leasebacks, right? Like you can go in and right now a great cap rate, or, or what's been for the last year or two, especially on a long-term, you know, like a medical office lease or something like that, is a good cap rate, you know, 65 to 7.5%. There's going to be deals out there soon that are 85 9.5%, and that you can even maybe value add and push over 10 or 11 I mean, we looked at it, we're looking at a deal that's an industrial building in an opportunity zone in Greater Nashville. I don't want to give it away, but I'm working on securing a tenant for an for the there's a it's an 800,000 square foot building by the way, um, which is unbelievable. But with the same group out of New York that I've talked about earlier, we're working on getting a tenant for them on the there's a vacant 150,000 to fill a hundred of that 150,000 that would take that deal from a 7.8 cap to a 10.2 cap. Now Not their gross good. revenue, their gross or their their NOI on that deal if we added the um the the new tenant that we're talking about would be almost two million dollars a year. Now after bank service, they're going to be bringing in, well, or excuse me, after like if they they raise the money and do it to investors, or if they they bring a bank loan on, you're looking at a cash flow of almost three quarters of a million dollars a year. 